One of the things that we want to look at today is a, is a message, but it's kind of a little bit of a long introduction here, but I want to give you the opportunity to think along with me on the theme of wisdom. And so given the design and the desire that I have, and hopefully you have, to take understanding the Bible to a new level, where it's just not knowledge, but it's biblical wisdom. See, wisdom is the skillful use of knowledge. And as having been a machinist and a mechanic, sometimes those tech manic, man, uh, manuals drive you crazy. There's just way too many words, you know. Sometimes there's just too many confusing illustrations. And you have to kind of then take the basic knowledge and with a little bit of mechanical wisdom and a little bit of understanding of theory, how something works, you can apply it. And so it's the same with Scripture, not to say that the Scripture is complicated, but sometimes it's made complicated by ourselves not seeing the simple points being made. And so there's a couple of real simple passages in the Proverbs that I think are important for us to consider, two of them at least, Proverbs 4-7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, Get wisdom. And with all thy getting, or all you're getting, get understanding. So your wisdom is only as good as your understanding, and your understanding is only as good as your wisdom. And how it works together, and how you're able to navigate life, and how you're able to apply the knowledge that you have from the Word of God will give you that edge in the world. And we're going to see from a passage of Scripture in James that very battle that's going on every day for all of us. Proverbs uh, Proverb 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of holy understanding. The knowledge of His holiness, understanding. So when, when we have a genuine fear, a genuine reverence for God, that fear, that reverence, gives us the ability to capture the importance of wisdom. Because we start to see things from God's perspective. Now, over the last four weeks, Pastor Paul illustrated and defined the collapse of the nation of Israel and its people, as well as Babylon. And both of these storylines in Habakkuk were from the perspective of the the Jews, their failure, their lack of biblical wisdom and humility led to their downfall. And from the perspective of the Babylonians, their boastful arrogance, their self-sufficiency, they're all about themselves and their power eventually failed them as well. So I'm looking at these things, and Habakkuk's powerful message had two very important passages that I just want to reiterate real quickly here because I think they tell us exactly what happens to people who understand the importance of biblical wisdom and the cost of arrogance. In Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, see, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith in God. And and the things that are believed about God will create a spiritual formation within the person from a divine perspective, not a human perspective. And Babylon had the human perspective. And Nebuchadnezzar displayed it himself when he had a big statue made of himself. 
But there's another passage that Pastor Paul shared that was important too, and it's in chapter 3, verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. O oh, Lord, renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known, and in wrath remember mercy. So in preparing a, an outline and a survey of Scripture, I'm inviting everyone to consider what it means to have a renewed love for the Word of God, a renewed interest in being able to just find where things are at, be able to explain them if you didn't have a Bible. Be able to explain the, the narrative of redemption. Be able to explain the gospel. And it is so important for us that we see this. You know, and also as I was listening to Pastor Paul following on the four weeks, I found the messages were, were providential in their preparation for us all. Because we really are at a crossroads. Again, Jim mentioned this in his prayer. I mean, the, the darkness is coming down. I mean, the darkness has always been in the world, but it just seems like the darkness is being celebrated. And that's what's really scary, is if the people just either are buying into it without a thought, or those who know it's happening don't really do anything about it, even in their own lives. And so in considering this, there was a book some years ago written by Francis Schaeffer, How Should We Then Live? And the title of today's message is posing a similar question. Who is wise and understanding among you? How will, you, how will we thus live in this world? Well, thinking on what Habakkuk taught, I want us to just look at a really short storyline from Jesus before we get into James. And it's in Luke chapter 20. So if you'd like to just turn there just to kind of get an idea where I'm going with this and why this biblical study platform is so important. Jesus in his telling the parable of the talents really got some people mad when he finally answered a, a response when giving the illustration about how after one, after another of the landowner's sons or servants were sent and then finally his son was killed. And if you look at Luke chapter 20, Jesus says in verse 15, what then will the owner of the vineyard do with them? Will he come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others? And when the people heard this, they said, may this never be. Now, it says the people, so it must just be everybody who's there, maybe some of the scribes and Pharisees, maybe some of just listeners who haven't made their mind up yet about Jesus, but they're all chiming in, may this never be. Jesus looked directly at them now, this is one of those, I, if, if I can just dare say this, one of those hairy eyeball moments with Jesus looking at the crowd. <laughs> okay? When the people heard this, they said, this may never be. Then Jesus looked directly at them and asked, what then is the meaning of that which is written? The stone of the builders rejected has become the cornerstone or the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on he whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So Jesus made it very clear, there's a bunch of you out there who have a whole lot of biblical knowledge. 
and it hasn't changed you a bit. Would to God that those who do want biblical knowledge and biblical understanding would fall on the rock and be broken by the rock in such a way that humility and grace and wisdom proceed rather than the rock coming down on you as a form of judgment. That's the point Jesus is making. And that's the point the church or the, the, the Pharisees got. The religious leaders picked up on that right away. He's talking about us. Let's have him killed. So in this text, Jesus provided a context for what it means to go beyond just knowing the word of God. The text speaks volumes about the cost of pride and knowledge puffed up versus when humility leads to brokenness and wholeness and wisdom. Another little bit of an illustration I want to make here, too, in keeping in mind what Jesus' ministry was about, can be added with the thought here that Jesus' ministry, as it went about, gained a lot of followers and a lot of people who were on the bandwagon. And there was this decision time in John chapter 6 where people were starting to see you know what, this whole idea of Jesus feeding us is pretty cool, but this other part about him demanding us to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, well, this is a hard saying. You know, this is getting a little bit beyond what I really want to do with this whole idea, this bread of life message. And the story tells of many leaving him because it was a hard saying. And the point about this is that many people who were departing from him lacked a well-constructed Old Testament understanding of the messianic work of Christ. Even the Bible scholars were missing this. Nicodemus was starting to get it, but most of the Bible knowledge people were missing the messianic message and what Jesus was going to do. And so it becomes difficult for some of them to believe this concept of this man being the bread of life and I'm supposed to eat and drink and, and have a part in him. This is a hard saying, I'm out. And you know, it's interesting, and I was thinking about this. They left without a second thought. You know why they left without a second thought? They didn't have a second thought. All their understanding of Jesus was based on what Jesus did to, to, for them and to them to make them feel good. But there was no depth to their understanding. And this is why people drop out of church. This is why people give up on ministries. Because there's no depth in them. There's no second thought. Well, I don't like the pastor anymore. He really ruffled my feathers. Or, oh, boy, that song. I can't, ha I can't handle that anymore. Or this, that, or the other thing. You get where I'm going, and you know what I mean. And when that happens, people leave without a second thought. And if their second thought is what they think a second thought, it's based on human reasoning rather than biblical logic. So, as I make these points, it kind of fits along the storyline of a book, Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman, who basically makes the distinction between fans and followers. Are you a follower? And if you're a follower, then you understand the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God and how the Word of God works. So as I attempt to take off on this rather long runway of an introduction, let me say one more thing. That when the word of God is a rock to us, we will happily fall on it.
Let's just get the word of God here in mind as the rock that gives forth water. When we speak to the rock, it speaks to us. God will heal us and give us true and healthy humility, followed by godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom. So let's take a look here and try to answer this question today that comes from James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. Who is wise among you? Because I believe James illustrates the kinds of choices that follow when you're either in one or the other worldview camp. Let's take a look at James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes down from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So it's easy to see what James is trying to do here, and especially if you understand how the book of James is written. The book of James is almost like a New Testament version of the book of Proverbs. See how James provides throughout the book various contrasts in his epistle, like trials and temptations, or listening and doing, or faith versus deeds, like the Abraham Rahab kind of illustrations, and then the tongue and the rudder and so forth. James does this in a, in a very in, in impressive way, that if you read the book of James again and again and over and over, you'll start to say, wow, this is like a book of Proverbs in the New Testament. And what he does here in this particular passage is he develops in a contrasting way to show how humility comes from wisdom and the display of the worldview that is earthly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom is clearly articulated as such man-centered versus Christ-centered worldviews. And so these two major contrasts show both the character of those who follow the one or the other worldview as well as their practice. And may I add, Paul does this in a similar way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he calls out the, the foolishness of God versus the wisdom of men. And so you have that same kind of play on the contrasting worldviews. James does it a little bit more in maybe a less theological way and a more practical way, getting right to the points where you are and how you practice your life and how you act and may even find yourself sometimes flip-flopping between both worldviews. So let's work through this and hopefully get our feathers ruffled to a point where we'll say they're ruffled and then we can smooth them out with grace and, and understand that God is working in us the will of his good pleasure as long as we're willing to fall on the rock and say, Lord, my feathers have been ruffled because I'm too proud or I don't like being told how to live. 
And then suddenly, ha, ah, but I like the fact just your full grace and mercy. And we smooth out the feathers and we're doing all right. You see, people, first of all, there are those who are wise to the ways of the world. There are those who are wise to the ways of the world. And people, listen, people are found with the choice between one or the other, usually on some philosophical platform. But as I said before, we flip-flop. Because we know that there are people who are sold out on Christianity, who believe the Bible, who say they believe in God. And sometimes just as act as secular as anyone else. And we know people who are secular who don't believe in the Bible, who don't care about God, and act more moral than Christians. So that's a fact. And I think you can give me, as I say to my students, a bobblehead on that one. So, think about this now as I go through this outline. I want you to be, as I said earlier, I want you to be thinking about Bible characters now. Or, if you dare, think about yourself and some of the characteristics of those who are wise to the ways of the world. The character, okay, their character is found rooted to earthly principles, rooted to earthly wisdom. Okay, in verse 14, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly it's interesting, and I don't know if this means a whole lot to you, but there are two different ways the world and earth are mentioned in the Bible. One has more to do with the cosmological or the cosmos and the way that people are in the universe. And the other one is just where we get the word geography or geology from. This is the geology word. This is the word that just simply says, this is dirt. <laughs> this is the earth. This is how it is here on the planet. It's earthly. It's not heavenly. It's what people do who don't know God. And it's rooted to this earthly thing, which ultimately we know is rooted to the world systems. And there are in this world many different worldviews. I teach worldviews at Cornerstone and go through the Christian worldview, obviously, with theology and philosophy and, and ethics and, and that. But I also look at five other worldviews, and I think you need to just hear real briefly what they are, because we're engaged in the war and the culture wars and the worldview wars all the time in various and sundry places by either some of you or all of you one way or another. Contrary to Christianity, obviously we have the worldview of Islam, which has a very twisted view of God. But beyond that, we have two other worldviews that are very man-centered, and that would be secularism and Marxism. It's all about man being the center of everything, and man is the measure of all things, like that great da Vinci drawing. And Marxism is all about man-centered statism or the government. And then there's the other two worldviews of new spirituality or new age and postmodernism, which really are two philosophies of the world which are just loaded with whatever you want to do, whatever you want to believe, I'm good. Just don't bother me. Don't tell me. I won't tell you. And create your own God. Create your own world. And you become the meta-narrative rather than the Bible being the meta-narrative. The Bible's the big story, and our postmodern friends make their own personal life the big story. You know what? If you really got into my story, it's a very big story. It's page 16, maybe in the classifieds for sale. You know, I mean, it's not that impressive. 
This is the Bible, and this is why it's important for us to see. These are the challenges we have as believers to see that there are people navigating through all these kinds of worldviews, and they're confused. Why? Because it says that they're unspiritual, downright secular. Secularism is naturalism and materialism. It's, it's just all about this world now and not a whole lot of complications beyond what you see is what you get. And that's how the world and the way, like even as Jim was saying, the darkness has fallen. Don't talk to me about God. Don't talk to me about spiritual things. This is it. This is all there is. And it also says it's of the devil. I think it's important that James points this out. Because sometimes we don't think the devil's involved at all. And then sometimes we think he's involved in everything. But James says, this is of the devil. The fall is because of the devil. The devil has his demons in the world. The devil does have stuff to do. He's only in one place at one time. He's not omniscient, neither is he omnipresent. He's a pretty smart dude, but he's still the devil. But we have to be aware of him because the Bible says he goes about like a roaring lion seeking to devour whom he may. You know what's crazy about this? The downright pit of hell philosophies that some people live. Is, have you ever noticed the obsession with people who deny God, but they're obsessed with the symbols of death? They deny God, and, and yet they celebrate death in some kind of a weird way. Kind of the Totenkopf, the the skull and crossbones, the whole idea that there's some kind of power presenting a fearful image. Pirates used it, right? Buccaneers and all that kind of stuff. But we're not to fear death. And yet the people who don't believe in God celebrate it. It's just kind of weird. It's from the pit of hell. It's of the devil. So that's the characteristics of such of these, of these people. But look at the practice of these people, of these different worldviews. They practice harboring Bitterness. You go back here a little bit, and it kind of bounces back and forth in verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, you do not, and do not boast about it or deny the truth. Harboring bitterness. Harboring bitterness. Bitterness, as the Bible says, uh, is, defiles many. Bitterness is giving hatred and jealousy and envy space in your head. It's being preoccupied with something that's unhealthy mentally. And, and there's a practice of this. And it's a shame. And it's a real shame. And I know we have Christian counseling going on all the time here. But there are people who allow that to happen in their Christian minds. Where they harbor bitterness. Where they envy. Where they give resonance in their mind to things that are unhealthy. And, and furthermore, there's also this whole idea of, of the selfish ambition that's in their hearts. Selfish ambition. It's referred to twice in James. Selfish ambition is basically self-promotion. It's not a healthy success path. And you know the latter, oh my goodness, don't get me started on politics. But the fact of the matter is, I'm reading a history book right now called Buckeye Presidents, and it's talking about all the Ohio residents who became presidents. And I just got done finished reading about the Rutherford B. Hayes presidency and the election and all that kind of stuff. My goodness, these people, it's no different. They just didn't have the news media that, that we do today. The infighting, the infighting, the, the jealousy, the bitterness, the corruption, the selfish ambition. It's as old as the garden. 
Fordi han er for. It says also here that there's this tendency, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. There are people who boast about their jealous envy. They, they boast about, well, I'm going to get even with somebody, or that person, they're a marked man, or I'm not going to agree with them anymore because they did me dirty. And it just lives in them, and they boast about it. It's the world. Or deny the truth. Hey, that's not right the way you feel. That's not smart how you're thinking. No, don't tell me. I know what I'm thinking. And they live that way because their worldview allows them to live that way because their worldview is based on selfishness, self-centeredness, or a narrative that can be made or changed all the time to fit the situations. And again, without getting into the history, just reading that one chapter like I did, you wouldn't believe how many flip-flop Democrats and Republicans were even back in the 1870s. I don't want to be on that side. Well, I don't want to be on this side. And they go back and forth. Can't make their mind up. Why? Because they don't have any fundamental foundation to base their ethics on. And this is why, again, I have to insist that when you study the whole Bible and you understand the whole counsel of God, you can see the characters in the Bible are pretty messed up too. There's some pretty crazy dudes in there, right? Your Ahabs. Mm -hmm. And you got some good examples like Joseph. But there's this ongoing thing, and then it just kind of goes on and it says another thing here back in verse 16. There you'll find disorder in every evil practice. And again, I'm not going to expound on these, but you kind of get where James is going. Disorder. I love the word here. In, in the Greek idea, it, there's a multiple ideas that go behind disorder, like commotion and confusion. Have you ever been disorganized for a little bit? I mean, when I have a senior moment and I'm looking for my keys and my, and my teeth and my, uh, you know, <laughs> you, know you, just, you just don't know where you left things, you know, and you're talking to yourself only to communicate yourself because of this naturally, this natural part of disorder. And, and, and then, then I made felt, then I, I made to feel better when I go to school and I hear kids saying they forgot this and they can't find that. So you kind of get it. <laughs> you know, it's not aged onset forgetfulness. But the, nevertheless, the disorder here, the scripture teaches to do everything decently in an order. But the world finds order in its disorder. It's like the Bible's coming true as we see it all the time. They'll call evil good and good evil. And they find that there's some kind of order in chaos. And if you know your history well enough, and, and, and everybody was doing a Sieg Heil and following a guy with a little mustache, there was a period of time when everybody gave up thinking logically about, where is this going? Oh, well, the uniforms look nice. Let's, maybe we can start a war and change the world. I mean, it just drives me crazy how people can get to a place where they don't think anymore. And that's what James is saying here. There you find disorder and every evil practice. Look, again... I don't need to comment on that. It's, it's, it's an entertainment. And it's called entertainment. I mean, my wife and I, we like to watch TV once in a while. But we have this like one minute rule, first word rule, um, we're done. We're watching Little House on the Prairie right now. <laughs> you know? I, it, it's, it's just gotten to the point where you just can't stomach what's being shown as entertainment. It's every evil practice being celebrated. And you're with me, I know. And biblical wisdom helps us to sort this out in our mind without a second thought. Right? Without a second thought. That's an important thing I want you to remember. 
When you grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are growing so that you have a wisdom that doesn't second-guess your faith. So let's move on and look at the, the characteristics and the practices of the ways of the people who follow the word. Those who are wise to the ways of the word. Jesus makes this clear often. I am the bread of life, okay? I am the door and, and so forth and so on. But James' contrast to worldly earthly wisdom is found in his use of a concept of wisdom that comes down from heaven. And here again, he uses a different word than heaven. And it's a word that simply means comes down from the superior advantage of all things. It's top shelf. Everything that I'm about to make this plea to you to listen to comes from the top, the top of the top. And simply put, it is godly wisdom. It is God-breathed wisdom. It is the God-incarnate word made flesh. It is Jesus born, lived, crucified, dead and buried, death on the cross, blood for you, resurrection, justification for you. This is all the stuff that really we have to capture in our mind. And say, I'm following the one from the top shelf. I am following the concepts from above. This is supersedes and exceeds and goes beyond all the best minds of the world. And it's really simple, guys, because James lays it out in ways that we can get it. We don't need to go to college to get this. Number one, the character of such wisdom is pure. Pure. First of all, pure. The decision-making capabilities of a person who knows the Word of God are, it comes from being able to have a pure perspective on the way things work and the way things work, either the way they end or the way they get better. It's decision-making that wisdom provides, the skillful use of knowledge. Our discernment becomes pure. Our sanctification becomes pure. Our worship becomes pure. We're able to capture right away. And let me give you a little in. I don't have this mastered yet. Okay? I know it's supposed to work, and I don't always do a good job at it. But I know when you do it, it works. And when you don't do it, you regret it. So all this characterized in the people who follow the ways of the word, their character is a character of purity. They, they're secondly, peace-loving people. Peace-loving. Now, I know some of you like to mix it up and have a little rumble. You know, I, I, I think physical uh, controlled boxing and fighting and all that kind of stuff is pretty good. So that, that, that has nothing to do with breaking up peace. It just has to do with breaking other people's noses. But <laughs> the, the fact is a peace lover will do all they can to stimulate the atmosphere of tension with godly wisdom, with words of encouragement. Can, can we just stop right now? Can we just pause for a moment, guys? Can we talk about this? Or how about let's not talk about it? Time out. Just like you did with your little kids. Sometimes adults need timeouts too. And if you're married, as long as my wife and I have, by the way, you, some of you celebrated with us our 50th anniversary uh, just recently. Uh, the, the fact is, is that I still need a timeout sometimes. I still have to be careful what I say. Because maybe I want my way rather than the ways of peace. 
But peace-loving people are people who also mind their own business to the degree and accept others to a way in which it takes wisdom. Doesn't not mean you agree with them. You just accept them. You figure, you know, one brick short of the load, you know, but we'll work with you. How about the third one here? Considerate. You're considerate. Hey, remember this word? Courtesy. Remember courtesy? What it's like to be courteous towards people? What it means to just remember that wise people are considerate. That you just step back and, and consider the fact that you're not perfect, they're not, but somewhere in between with biblical wisdom, we can work on a relationship. Even if it's not a shared intimate or theological or philosophical relationship, we can get along. But you see right now, we, we can't be considered because if you have a different opinion, you're a hater. If you have a different opinion, you're either a racist or, or you're a bigot. And, and so forth. We've got all these labels now for everything that just don't consider consideration that things are in the world different at times. How about this fourth one? Submissive. Submissive basically means I don't have to be first. You don't have to be first. In fact, in my reading just, just uh, this morning, I was reading in 3 John. Theotrophies. He loved the preeminence. He wanted to be first at the expense of making the church miserable and the evangelists unwelcomed. Boy, that's a nice Christian worldview application, isn't it? Wanting to be number one. Number five, full of mercy. Remember, God is a merciful God. I think this is, again, where we know our Bible stories. David, the sure mercies of David. David deserved, if God was quick to judge and just in his judgment, David wouldn't have made it half into his kingdom years. But in the humility of David, because he loved the word of God, because he trusted the word of God, David would fall on the rock. David would humble himself before God. David would own his mistakes, and God is quick to show mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, you're just God, but remember mercy. David admitted all the times when he was wrong, and he found mercy. Just like in the story of Luke chapter 7, where the woman who uh, had a, a rather sordid past came and bowed before Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and tears, and, and everybody was like, who is Jesus? He can't be possibly a prophet that he says. Doesn't he know this woman? No. He saw brokenness, and he gave mercy. See, wisdom helps us to do that to others, too. We can give mercy. We need it. We can give it. Good fruit. Again, check the list in Galatians 5. You know it. I'm not going to go through it right now. But it, it tells us all the benefits of the fruit that come from wisdom. The, the love, joy, peace, and gentleness, and goodness, and all those kinds of things are practiced out of wisdom. And such, let's now go on to this practice then. Not only is there character of good fruit, mercy, submissive, considerate, peace-loving, and pure, but look at the practice of, of such wisdom. The practice is impartial. The practice is impartial. That is probably one of the hardest and most difficult thing when it comes to being discerning. It also means that we are not only discerning and capable of making a judgment, but we can make a wise judgment. A, a, a judgment based on what will glorify God, not get us out of the corner, but to just simply be impartial. 
And we see that's even becoming difficult in our courts today for now we're seeing judges are politicized. But we have the right to judge, not condemn. You get the difference. Our justice is biblical justice, and if need be, with grace and mercy. But one of the characteristics and one of the practices of a person who's dependent on the word is that they are, as James says, impartial and sincere. Honest to a fault, but they're always sincere. Don't you like it when you know where somebody's coming from and they've been honest with you even though you didn't like their honesty, you respect them. You have a hard time listening to them tell you what they think of you, but you don't but you don't fight back because you kind of understand, yeah, they, 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 they got it. They know me. So these peacemakers then, as James wraps it up, are those who wisely sow in peace and harvest in righteousness. They sow in peace because the gospel ministry of reconciliation is in the forefront of their minds. Maybe I can't have peace with all men, but Christ can have peace offered to all men and be reconciling them to his cross. And then that, when that happens, then they can come back and say, oh, I see where you're coming from. But you can't make people be at peace with you. You can't force them. You can try, but that's where we have to put the gospel out in front of us all and let Jesus do the peacemaking. He's the one that changes hearts. But we at least have a responsibility to present the ministry of reconciliation and finally, in the process, the harvest of righteousness. That whole fruit of what is good from all the labors of wisdom applied, biblical knowledge practiced, in the hope that what we do will make a difference, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of those around us. So let me just close with this application here. Again, I mentioned Ahab and Joseph, those kinds of characters out there. Think about Bible characters who fit either wisdom. And and think about the benefits of knowing the whole counsel of God, like Peter and Stephen and Paul, when they were able to just lay it out there for everyone to hear. This is what you need to know about the biblical narrative. All these things that I've said, which has been a lot, I take it that it may be too much. But it helps us to see how to do what needs to be done and to do it with the biblical wisdom. So therefore, hopefully you'll be committed to know a little bit more about the Bible. But my engaging it this morning hopefully reflects the desire to engage you to qualify, to understand to be able to impart and to practice the wisdom that comes from above, not this earthly stuff. Let us pray. Father in heaven, the question hopefully is answered, who is wise and understanding among us? Our time in James this morning is a reminder of the daily conflicts we're all faced with and see why we need to prevail in our own undertaking our personal choices the challenge of self-control, the, the, the challenge of thinking biblically, the challenge of thinking clearly and partially and with peace in mind. And as I leave this pulpit here, I again thank you for the opportunity to continue ministering amongst these people and this church family, which is so dear to us. And pray that there would be uh, 
your will being done here at Cornerstone on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray if there's any here this morning who just really started to think, you know, I'm not really a Christian. I get what he said. I'm a moral man. But I haven't been transformed and redeemed by the blood of Christ. I pray that that person may just start to think today could be the day of salvation and to talk to an elder or myself or someone about what it means to know Jesus Christ as Savior and to celebrate the very reality of what it means to now have the knowledge of him turned into the wisdom of God. In Christ's name, amen.